Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Julio Gonzalez. It's September the 12th, 2018, and welcome to the Federalist Pages number 47, where today we'll be talking a little bit about yesterday at 9-11, 17 years after the fact. We'll also be talking about the U.S. Open, the fiasco that was the U.S. Open over the weekend. We'll also talk about being part of the resistance inside the New York Times, even though the person claims to be inside the Trump administration. But at the very least, we know that the person somehow got into the New York Times. We'll talk about Kavanaugh's crazy confirmation hearings and some observations regarding the state of our country. So you won't want to miss any of this today at the Federalist Pages. But first, let me encourage you to visit us at www.thefederalistpages.com where you will find old podcasts. You'll also find some of my writings, blogs, all sorts of information there for you, for you to peruse. Also on the twi- on Twitter, please follow me at The Federalist Pages. Make sure you subscribe to The Federalist Pages on iTunes and SoundCloud so you can get the notification about the moment that we are up in the air with the latest podcast. And make sure you follow me on the Federalist pages on Facebook. So as promised, let's start with a few words about 9-11. Yesterday was September 11, and it is always a somber day for all of us Americans. It was a day that our country was taken by complete surprise. It was a day where my kids' childhood was changed forever. And it was a day where so many lost so many loved ones, and they lost so much as well. I was uh, at Mass today, and we remembered those who were lost, and we prayed for them. And uh, I, I think we should continue to pray. But I think now we're having a different problem, and that is that our kids are not remembering what 9-11 was and what it was all about and what it meant and what it did to our country. So I tweeted today a reminder for people to never forget and to share the events and their thoughts on that day with their children. Today is 9-12. It's a day late, but it's never too late to engage in that activity. It's really important that we understand what our country is about. It's really important that we understand what makes our country the greatest community in the world, what makes us independent, and what makes us a sovereign. And so anytime we have the opportunity to do that, and especially with something as real and palpable for most of us, the world overwhelming number of us, as 9-11, then it is a very important time for us to stop, discuss it with our kids, pass on the memories, pass on the legacy, and pass on the responsibility to protect something that is truly great, and that is our republic and our way of life. Because whether we want to believe it or not, our way of life, our very existence was under attack that day, and it continues to be so. And so for those reasons, if none other, I encourage you to take some time to sit down with your kids and let them know what that day was all about and what your memories are. Some of them may have been alive, some of them may be six, seven years old, and it's amazing all the things that they don't remember uh, when they were that young, things that we remember as if they were yesterday. So do it, do it today, don't wait. 
So let's talk about the U.S. Open, which is a fiasco. It was a fiasco. I first learned about this. My family and I, we went on vacation last weekend. It wasn't really a vacation. We just got out of town and were unable to uh, access the Internet. We were unable to access social media. So we, for a couple of days, had no idea what was going on. And I'm driving my family back home. And all I keep hearing about is this U.S. Open. Something happened at the U.S. Open, at the women's final, and it had to do with Serena Williams, and it had to do with a, a young lady called Naomi Osaka. So I decided to look up what had happened, and I quickly learned that um, just like the Senate that had experienced a circus the week prior, so had the U.S. Open women's final. And apparently it all started with Serena becoming extremely upset at a coaching violation that was put against her. And she thought that, you know, that she was that she was unfairly targeted or unfairly treated by being told that her coach had been quote unquote coaching. Apparently the coach is unable to coach the player while the player is at play. And because of that she got um she got a violation cited against her. A few Plays later, a few games later, she then threw her racket against the ground. And after she threw her racket against the ground, she went up to this umpire whose name is Carlos Ramos, I think, and told Mr. Ramos all sorts of things about how she doesn't cheat and how she is not a cheater and how she has a child to uh, to raise and she does not want to give the wrong example to a child. So how dare he call her a cheater? She has never cheated any day in her life. Look, the reality is that fouls are called in all sports, whether it's basketball or football or baseball. Some sports do better jobs at other than others to try to try try to mitigate the calls and to try to minimize the wrong calls. But in when it when push comes to shove, there's a human element to all of this, which is part of the attraction of sports, the fact that there are some uncontrollable events that will take place. And that's what happened with Serena, and it happens to all major athletes. A call doesn't go your way, you shake it off and you move on and you continue, particularly in tennis, where it's so important for you to maintain your your concentration because, as we have seen time and time again, he or she who loses her composure will inevitably lose the match. And that's exactly what ended up with uh, Serena. She got docked a point for having thrown a racket, and then she... Um, got cited for uh, abusing the umpire and uh, she got seen by hundreds if not thousands and thousands of fans live uh, losing complete control of her of of her composure and it, it was really a sad sight to see and if she wanted to invoke the example that she wants to uh, show for her child well the example that she wants to show for her child is not her behavior her conduct at that moment in time. <clears throat> anyway, Serena goes on to lose. Uh, she lost 6-2 for the first set, 6-3 in the second set, which is where all the events took place. And this young upstart from Japan who uh, found herself in the women's final and hoping against all hope that someday she would have the opportunity to play against Serena, all of a sudden found herself to be the first Japanese champion ever either male or female, to have won a, ten a tennis um, 
Open uh, Championship, which is a, a moment, should be a moment of great pride for her. Unfortunately, what ended up happening was the crowd just went wild with disdain and careless disregard for the girl and careless disregard for her accomplishments. They immediately started booing her. They booed her after the um, the show, after the, the, the uh, final was over. They booed her at the awards ceremony and essentially turned the award ceremony into a spectacle. They booed her to the point where she actually put her visor down. And here's this 20-year-old young lady who had fought so hard to achieve the dream of a lifetime, putting down her visor because she is so utterly embarrassed about what's about what's taking place to her. And now these are New York fans. Let's not recall, not re- forget that we these are mostly American fans, mostly members of uh, from New York, and they adore Serena Williams. And I I understand that the woman is an amazing female athlete, perhaps the greatest female athlete of all time. But but in the end, she me she comported herself uh, unprofessionally and unethically. She lost the match by much bigger than just the one point. She was dominated by this young uh, competitor from Japan. And in the end, Naomi won fair and square. The crowd wouldn't have any of it. This uh, lady, who is the president of the U.S. Tennis Association by the name of Adams, upon presentation of the trophy, pretty pretty much shot accolades beyond belief to to Serena, minimal if no accolades to Naomi. And uh, Naomi was so shook up that when they asked her about the major accomplishment that she had just achieved and how she may have felt about achieving her life's dream of of competing at the U.S. Open against against Serena Williams and actually defeating her, how that felt. She deferred on the question. She deferred on the question. It was tragic. So I I was really distraught at at what I saw, at making a shambles of an award ceremony and making a mockery out of a, a young lady's accomplishment. Serena Williams quickly softened her her tone and started saying words to the effect as uh, we'll get through this. We'll get through this together. And it just sounded so fake to me because what is there to get through? What, there's nothing to get through. You, you lost. You lot, you were um, cited fairly. You were docked a point according completely in keeping with the rules and that's not me talking. That's more like Navr- Na, uh, Martina Navratilova, who is a former queen of women's tennis, saying it on the New York Times uh, as a part of an opinion piece. I've never seen a person feel compelled to come out on a major newspaper to castigate or chastise another major player because of his or her behavior. This was a first that I've seen. And... uh it was well-deserved. I wrote about it about on the Federalist pages. I recommend that you go see it. I have some more details there about the words and the language used by uh, Martina Navratilova and some of the details uh, regarding her impressions. But the bottom line is this. What took place on the U.S. Open courtside was almost 
a repudiation of someone's major accomplishment, and it was a it was a so complete support and acceptance of the misbehaviors of what Adams calls a champion. Well, she certainly didn't behave like a champion that way that day, and instead, what ended up happening was Naomi behaved like an incredible champion, particularly when she thanked the crowd despite all their punishment of her. She thanked the crowd for having watched the match. And then she thanked Serena Williams for the honor of playing her. That, my friends, is a true champion. And I hope to see a lot, many, many more greater accomplishments from her moving on into the future. My name is Dr. Julio Gonzalez. And you're listening to The Federalist Pages. Well, welcome back to The Federalist Pages. And I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. So says the anonymous writer uh, in the New York Times. This has been the source of incredible news uh, and I, I really just have to comment on it because it was so appalling. It was appalling to the president of the United States. It was appalling to me, and it should be appalling to about every American. Essentially, this person identifies himself as a high-ranking officer in the White House, in the Trump administration, and he or she is stating that there are members, there are a concerted number of members inside the White House who are working together to essentially subvert President Trump. And what their goal is, is to make sure that the president does not succeed, perhaps even to take down the president. Now, the person goes on to state a number of reasons why the president needs to be subverted. There's no, there are no details on this. There's no specific, specific event there's no specific reason, just generalized accusations about how Trump refuses, allegedly, refuses to cooperate with the uh, military, uh, his military advisors on what to do about Russia, uh, where he um, has gone against advice on things such as tweeting. They call him erratic. I mean, it's, a, it's just the usual, usual compendium of stuff. Usual compendium of, of stuff that we keep hearing in the news about never Trumpers or from never Trumpers. These are people who are who are just so inculcated in the idea that they must get rid of Trump that uh, they will go to the end to um, to resist. They are the resistance. And this person claims to be part of the resistance. The only comment that I agreed with this person and we'll get to a little bit more about whether this person is a real person or not. But the only the only comment with which I agreed is he or she said, quote, President Trump is facing a test to his president, unlike presidency, unlike any faced by any by a modern American leader. I'll try that again. President Trump is facing a test to his presidency, unlike any faced by a modern American leader. Yeah, I agree with people like you festering inside the the White House and trying to bring him down, people like Strzok and others who have, and his, of course, Lisa Page and, 
and Comey and, and all sorts of other individuals that I'm sure we still haven't identified who are so just upset and despondent over the fact that the queen of politics did not win the election, much like the queen of tennis did not win the U.S. Open last weekend. They are so distraught about that that they will do anything to shoot down the the president. And yes, I am speaking allegorically. I have no knowledge or even uh, a thought that anybody would be actually uh, trying to uh, bring any physical harm to the president of the United States. But nevertheless, they want to get him out. They want to they want to get him impeached. They want to remove him because why? Because he's not the right person for them. The audacity of this attitude is beyond belief. About half just short of half the of the Americans of the United States voted for President Trump. He became president. They are ignoring the will of the people of the United States. Our electoral college voted in him by resounding numbers and that's how we do business in this country we vote through an electoral college process and rightfully so we can discuss that um, again in the future if you would like i've discussed it before in other podcasts and written about it as well it is a very appropriate form of selecting the president for many logical reasons but according to this group that doesn't matter because the only thing that matters is that they want to get rid of the president of the United States. Why? Because they don't like him. They don't like his tweets. They don't like his uh, conduct. Uh, they don't like the way he thinks. They don't like the fact that he wants to drain the swamp, and they're the swamp. They feel threatened. And for all those reasons, they want to get rid of the president of the United States, a duly elected president of the United States. Now, on another issue, should the New York Times have even, even gone through the trouble of publishing this opinion piece? My answer is no, they shouldn't have. It's anonymous. The person isn't saying it, to identifying who he or she is, number one. There's no specificity to the article. There's nothing, there's no event behind the scenes that they describe with uh, specificity to the point where you knew that it was an observer of the uh, events that took place that gives you the inside information. There's none of that. It's just generalized whining and more accusations that are either baseless or just repeated. So there is a non-story here. There is no story. And for the New York Times to come out and publish this uh, piece of trash is really beyond me and I think speaks more to the agenda of the New York Times. Now, look, I, I've gone to the point where I don't, I, don't, I don't believe anything the New York Times says anymore. I, I have to look it up elsewhere to confirm it. And I'm doing that increasingly with every every piece of, of media that I read, every every mainstream media report that I see, because I just don't trust them anymore. They they have demonstrated themselves to be so agenda driven that they're beyond uh, being worthy of our trust. And this is a perfect and yet another example of how the mainstream media is just pushing an agenda and trying to make life more difficult for the duly elected president of the United States. And I, for one, are, am not going to stand for it. Now, I think it's going to have the negative effect or the effect opposite of what they of what they wish to have happen. I think what's probably going to happen is that the New York Times articles and the articles of the mainstream media is essentially going to end up causing people to rally around the president of the United States. 
and I think you're going to see him get reelected. Probably, if for no other reason, because the base and some portion of middle America is going to be very tired of people openly manipulating the system and trying to go against the will of the American people. I think that's what's going to end up happening, and I think this uh, plays to that effect. By the way, one more comment and one more observation. Who says that this is a real person? The New York Times does, but who else? I don't see how this is a real person. It's very possible that they compiled a number of sources into one kind of hybrid hybrid article with the opinions that they wish to deliver, they being the uh, editorial staff of the New York Times. But honestly, I just don't I just don't see how this is a real person. Prove to me, New York Times, that this is a real person. They can't. They put out this criteria that they want you to understand on how they choose their stories as their defense of the story. But that in and of itself, without any specificity, without any, any palpable knowledge that would allow us to identify who is doing this, why he's doing that, and where this person was during the events that transpired, honestly, in my opinion, means... It's a non-story. And until such time, I will continue to treat it that, that way. I hope the president continues his robust investigation as to who wrote this story. Find out if it's a real individual, if it is. I hope that person sees comes to see the light of day long enough to get tried and punished severely. And that's my opinion on the resistance inside the Trump administration. My name is Dr. Julio Gonzalez. And you're listening to The Federalist Pages. Well, welcome back to The Federalist Pages. And uh, I need to stop here for a moment to talk to you about sponsorship opportunities. There's all sorts of sponsorship opportunities. If you can help us to deliver the this message to our listeners, to deliver it on the radio at Right Talk America, uh, and maybe even support the Revolutionary Act, then I ask you, please, to come to the Federalist Pages at gmail.com. That is my email address. Write me at the Federalist Pages at gmail.com and uh, write us a letter about, about sponsorship opportunities and how you can help us deliver our conservative message. If you're in the Sarasota market, please listen to Right Talk America with Rod Thompson and me, Julio Gonzalez, at WLSS. 9.30, The Answer, or FM 93.7, or 103.1 on Saturdays at between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. And if you miss it, or if you don't live in the Sarasota market, you can still come to thefederalistpages.com, and I will be posting our podcasts. Or you can sign up for the podcast directly and hear the show. Well, now it's time to move on to the next level of craziness, and that was the Kavanaugh's crazy confirmation. <laughs> excuse me, Kavanaugh's crazy confirmation hearings. Did you guys see that? Did you get the opportunity to see that? I did. It was nuts. It was insane. I, I wrote about it again on the Federalist Pages, and I welcome you to um, come over to the Federalist Pages and, and look at the article. It's in the blog section. I think I called it the Senate's three-ring circus or something to that effect. But essentially, I called it this, an unconscionable, gross, and utter disregard for the institution of the Senate and for the dignity of the chamber. If there's any such dignity left, that's my description of, of the events that transpired. 
And it really started like this. Now, first of all, let's take a step back. For those of you who um, who may be stumbling upon our uh, podcast and don't know about what's going on, President Trump has nominated a conservative judge. Of course, the president cannot just place him into the Supreme Court. He has to go through a nomination process, and that nomination process goes through the Senate, and the Senate needs to approve him by a majority vote. Now, recall that it used to be subject to the filibuster rule by a 60% supermajority, so that if somebody filibustered, any one party filibustered, um, you would essentially see the blocking of the confirmation hearing. The Democrats, in their infinite wisdom, decided, in their, under Harry Reid, if you recall, decided that they would lower the bar to 50% plus one, <laughs> which is a ridiculous thing for him to do because essentially he opened the door to allowing conservative judges in the future if there should be a reelect if should if a a um a conservative judge should be i mean a conservative president should be elected and that is exactly what happened now we got the uh death of Antonin Scalia which led to Gorsuch's um nomination successful nomination and installation into the Supreme Court of the United States. And now, more recently, um, uh, Justice Kennedy has decided that he is going to retire, giving President Trump yet another opportunity to appoint a Supreme Court justice. And that is exactly what's happening. With a 51 uh, vote majority needed to be uh, placed into the Supreme Court, it is very likely that this judge, Judge Kavanaugh, who is, like I said, is of impeccable impeccable um, qualifications, will make it into the Supreme Court. The left is going nuts. Well, first of all, the left deserves it because they're the ones who lowered the uh, threshold for nominations, judicial nominations, to 50% plus one rather than the 61 votes that they had before that was required previously. So, you know, I have no sympathy and no and no lo- love lost for the left in their whining about uh, about the fact that Ju- Justice Judge Kavanaugh could soon become Justice Kavanaugh. That's number 1. Number 2, the President of the United States is entitled to his choice. It's his choice. It is not the, the Senate's choice. It is the President's choice. And we'll get into that in a little bit uh, more detail here in a minute. And thirdly, their conduct, their disruptive, obstructionist conduct has been so unconscionable, so over the top, that it just defies reality. Chairman Chuck Grassley opened the meeting for the first day of the nomination hearings, and before he could bring the meeting to order, he had not gone in through, I don't know, two sentences before Senator Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, who was running for president, started saying that she wanted to be heard. The meeting wasn't even in, in order, and she wanted to be heard. And this was followed by Cory Booker, another guy who's running for president, and Richard Blumenthal, an overall just piece of work. So these three essentially start going on and on along with the Hawaii senator. And of course, as they do that, in come the flow, the, the, what turned into the unrelenting flow 
of protesters who would come in to the room, sit in the back somewhere, and just yell about how unfair things were and how terrible things were. Look, this only comes down to one thing. This comes down to only one thing. The left's key player, the key player in the legislative process, I'm going to repeat, the key player in the legislative process, not the judicial process, in the legislative process, is the Supreme Court. Odd as that may sound, for over 70 years, maybe 80 to 100 years, the left withering away at the restrictions of the Constitution of the United States such that the Constitution of the United States no longer functions or even looks like anything that was brought to us by our framers. And these changes were changes that, by and large, except for the 16th Amendment to the Constitution, the 17th Amendment to the Constitution, of course, the 18th, which was reversed, so we won't talk about that, but essentially because the 16th and the 17th Amendments to the Constitution, these reversals were done pretty much by uh, the judicial process and not really by a process that had anything to do with voter input and the will of the American people. It is in this manner... Um, that was undertaken to remove our right to pray in school, to teach religion in school, to have moments of silence in school, to even have prayers at commencement ceremonies. All of this was done by the Supreme Court of the United States without any input from the voters. And so now it looks like the Supreme Court is going to go conservative, particularly if Judge Kavanaugh becomes Justice Kavanaugh and the left is going nuts and they will do everything they can to disrupt the process. And in a way, I guess, although I am disheartened in seeing what took place, I am kind of happy to see what happened because it really demonstrated the audacity and the incredible disregard for process and for the will of the American people that liberals have today. And let me talk to you a little bit about Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Number 76, because there he speaks directly to the point of what the nomination process was to be. And he talked about how it was the president that was supposed to that was supposed to decide the makeup of the Supreme Court so long as he was president. The the um, the nominees were his to make. The policy decisions that would ensue and the legal uh, rulings that would that would come of this were because of the president's selections, which, according to the framers, as reflected by Federalist number 76, as when um, as written by Alexander Hamilton, was the appropriate thing to do. It's completely consistent with with the intent of the framers. As a matter of fact. Hamilton talks about how it is not up to the Senate to select who the nominee is. It is up to the president. So he asks a great, a great question, and I'll read to you this paragraph. He asks the question, well, then, to what purpose would we require the cooperation of the Senate? I answer that the necessity of their concurrence would have a powerful, though in general, a silent operation. Silent. Meaning there's no there's no circus, there's no embellishment, there's no political pageantry 
It's just a silent process of reviewing a nominee. For what? For what? Why review the nominee as um, as appointed or as, as selected by the President of the United States? Well, he goes on to explain that. He goes on to explain. It would be an excellent check upon a spirit of a favoritism in the president and would tend to greatly, I'm sorry, it would tend greatly to prevent the appointment of unfit characters from state prejudice, from family connections, from personal attachment, or a view to popularity. In addition to this, it would be an efficacious source of civility in the administration. Look, guys, your role is to figure out if this guy is a scumbag, if he has a significant past, if the appointment is part of nepotism, if the appointment is a result of the president started trying to favor a particular state, because this was a very important issue for the framers, not so much today. But nevertheless, those were the those were the roles that the Senate was supposed to review. It was not supposed to make a condition to appointment a judicial philosophy or a philosophy on strict constructionism or a quote-unquote living, breathing uh, constitution to be changed at the whims of the judiciary as they thought was needed for the stability and the goodwill of the country. That was not the purpose for a judicial, for a senatorial review of a judicial nominee. Yet, that's what, that's the circus that we saw today. And worse yet, we saw complete disruption of the process. And it dates back to the, the degradation of the process and the generation, degeneration of the process dates back to Bork. And what they, what the Democrats under, led by Senator Ted Kennedy, a man of just impeccable moral standing, a.k.a. Chappaquiddick, did to the, to um, to this perfectly qualified yet conservative, or I should say, and conservative judge. He never got to be able to sit on the bench. Fortunately, we were lucky enough to have him at Ave Maria University here in Southwest Florida, training law students until he died a few years ago. They were they were they tried to do it again for. Justice Thomas, who aptly called the process a modern-day lynching, and now they're trying to do it again, but this time in a circus-like event, to just Judge Kavanaugh, hopefully soon to become Justice Kavanaugh. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed for our country. I was embarrassed by the direction in which we were going. And so I'll close with some observations. And the observations are regarding the state of our nation. We're living in a country where players kneel during the national anthem, where fans boo tennis players following incredible feats, where the Senate runs a three-ring circus during the confirmation hearings of a decent and honorable judicial nominee, and where members of the administration leak like a sieve against the President of the United States merely because they disagree with the selection of the American people. These are activities, make no mistake about it, these are activities that are representative of the left. This is the way the left thinks. 
This is the way the left operates. They're also emblematic of a great challenge that's facing our country today. It's a challenge that deals with respect for authority. It's a challenge that deals with an acknowledgement that there is something greater than each and every one of us, not the least of which is the stability and the, and the reverence of our great country. And I'm telling you, if these challenges are not solved, we will end up in a very difficult situation, one from which we may not be able to bounce back. I have some recommendations for solutions, but that'll be a talk for another day. My name is Dr. Julio Gonzalez. I thank you for listening to these, The Federalist Pages. God bless you, and have a great day.